Every week, it seems there is something about evolution or creation in the news. Evolution is touted as being the scientific giant. But is it as solid as many believe? And what about the case for creation? Stay tuned. This is where the battle is today. Two great worldviews that affect everything in human life. We need to be on the right side. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Henry Morris co-founded the Institute for Creation Research in 1970 and was president of ICR for many years. Early in 2006, he went home to be with the Lord. Over the decades, Dr. Morris spoke and wrote prolifically about the Bible and science. Today, we'd like to share with you from our archives some of the insights he had about the case for creation and three little tests that can topple the Goliath of evolution. Please rally around for the next 15 minutes to hear from the father of the modern creationist movement as Dr. Morris speaks on the case for creation. To make the case for creation and the case against evolution, Dr. Morris suggests we analyze creation and evolution with three simple tests he calls the scientific, the fruit, and the biblical test. First is the scientific. Which is more scientific, creation or evolution? Do we see evidence of evolution happening today? The word science means knowledge, what comes from the Latin meaning knowledge. So we ought to be able to see it. We ought to be able to run experiments and see evolution operate. Do we do that? No, obviously not. Nobody's ever seen evolution take place. Now, I mean macroevolution. We're not talking about microevolution or variation. The different varieties of dogs and things, we agree all came from a common ancestral dog, maybe the wolf back 4,000 years ago, that sort of thing. That's microevolution or variation. It's at the same horizontal level of complexity, but to increase the level of complexity from one level to a higher level and one kind to a higher, more complex kind, macroevolution, nobody had ever seen that happen. That's what we think doesn't happen. Many evolutionists admit that they don't see evolution happening today. But can they point to evidence that shows that it happened sometime in the past? This is from Dr. David Kitts. He's professor of geology at the University of Oklahoma. And uh, this article was him, by him was written in the journal Evolution. And here's what he said in that article. This, the title is Paleontology and Evolutionary Theory. He said, evolution, in the sense that Darwin speaks of it, cannot be detected within the lifetime of a single observer. He says, you can't see evolution take place. And not just in the lifetime of a single observer, in all the four or 5,000 years of recorded human history, nobody's ever seen it take place in a series of lifetimes. You don't see evolution take place. So we can't see evolution happening today or in human history. But what about in the supposed millions of years of Earth history recorded in the fossil record? Dr. Gitz goes on to discuss that. He says, despite the bright promise that paleontology provides of, quote, seeing evolution, it has presented some nasty difficulties for evolutionists, the most notorious of which is the presence of gaps in the fossil record. Evolution requires intermediate forms between species, and paleontology does not provide them. The gaps must therefore be a contingent feature of the record. There are gaps everywhere in the fossil record. There are no evolutionary series in the fossil record any more than in the present world. So how do some evolutionists solve this dilemma, that evolution happens too slowly for it to be seen in the present, and yet there is no evidence for it in the geologic record of Earth history? Now what they say, is <laughs> it? well, you have to understand, when evolution did take place, it was because of a sudden change in the environment, some, some ecological catastrophe, and so evolution took place rapidly. Dr. Gould and Dr. Eldridge have become very famous with their theory of punctuated equilibrium. The idea is that a particular species will stay in a condition of stasis, meaning standing still, 
for maybe 100,000 generations, then all of a sudden we'll change to something different. But you don't see any evidence of that. You know, that's what he says. You don't see it anywhere. Paleontology, you, you can't see these changes take place. They say, well, it took place suddenly, and that so it didn't leave many fossils. That's why you don't see it. <laughs> Amazingly, many people accept this sidestepping of the evidence without recognizing the circular reasoning. So it seems like to us what they're saying is you can't see any evidence in the present world of evolution because it goes too slow. You can't see it in the fossil world because it went too fast. <laughs> but the thing is, you cannot see it anywhere. Evolutionists have to walk by faith, not by sight. What about the laws of science? Do they support evolutionary claims? The two most basic laws of science are the first and second laws of thermodynamics. The first law says that energy is conserved. It's not being created, not being annihilated, neither created nor destroyed. The second law says that although it's not being destroyed, it is running down. Well, another way of putting that is that everything tends to become more disordered. The so-called entropy tends to increase. And everybody can understand, and you know it's true, that if you just let things go, they go down. You let your room go down, it gets all messed up. The whole universe is running down. And the uh, scientists used to call this an ultimate heat death of the universe. Every, the sun's going to burn out, the stars going to burn out, those that provide energy now for the operation of things in the world. They're going to run down, burn out someday, and when they do, it'll still be here. Energy is conserved, but it'll be in the form of unusable heat energy, uniform temperature through space, something like that. But this idea is strong evidence for creation. The universe is running down, but it isn't dead yet. It's a long way from being dead because there's still plenty of energy. The sun's burning and everything, a lot of things happening. So it isn't dead, but if it were infinitely old, it would already be dead because it's dying in time. But it isn't dead, so it had a beginning, a finite beginning time of this complex universe. Same thing applies with the law of cause and effect. This tremendously complex universe of stars and galaxies and animals and people and everything must have a cause adequate to produce it. No effect can be greater than its cause. So there must be a cause somewhere able to produce a universe, just as there must be a cause or an ultimate source of energy and order able to wind up the universe so now it's running down. So the laws of thermodynamics point not to no cause, no God, no creator, but there must have been some kind of creator, tremendously intelligent and tremendously energetic, able to create a complex universe. One little but powerful stone has hit its mark in taking down the Goliath called evolution. As Dr. Morris has just pointed out, evolution fails the scientific test because science actually supports creation. But what about the next little stone, the fruit test? The fruit test is based on Jesus' words when he said, By their fruits ye shall know them. As we see what these two concepts, creation and evolution, have led to, what kind of fruits they've borne, we can make that test in addition to the scientific test. Well, what is evolution? Natural selection, struggle for existence, nature red in tooth and claw, things killing each other. In fact, do you know that one of Carl Sagan's talks or books, I guess this was Cosmos series, he said the secrets of evolution are death and time. The deaths of enormous numbers of life forms that were imperfectly adapted to the environment, time for a long succession of small mutations that were by accident adaptive Time for the slow accumulation of patterns of favorable mutations. So the very essence of evolution is death. Although the most basic component of evolution is death, there are other negative products of evolution. The basic of Hitler's Nazism was evolutionism. He was a strong evolutionist. 
believed in the super race and the other races had to be subjugated, you know. And Karl Marx was a total evolutionist. He wanted to dedicate his book, Das Kapital, to Darwin. Not every evolutionist is a communist, of course, but every communist has to be an evolutionist. And uh, you could talk about behaviorism and socialism generally and racism. Now, there were racists before Darwin, of course. Darwin himself was a racist. The subtitle of his book was The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. And he believed that the Caucasian race would eventually subjugate the others. Another effect that we see rooted in evolution is that of abortion. The scientific justification for it comes from is evolution. Ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. During the development, the fertilized egg progresses over 38 weeks to what is, in fact, a rapid passage through evolutionary history. From a single primordial cell, the conceptus progresses through being some sort of a, something of a protozoan, then a fish, then a reptile, a bird, a primate, and ultimately a human being. Charles Darwin used that evidence himself for evolution in his book, The Origin of Species. The embryo does not go through these stages, whatever, it's a false idea, but it's used as evidence for evolution. And that's what abortists use. If after all, if this embryo is not really human, what's the big deal in, in killing it? It's not human until practically the end of its term. And so getting rid of it is no big deal. What's, what's harm about killing a fish or a monkey? That's the way they reason. The fruits of evolution are plagues upon man and society. But what about the fruit of creation? Well, the products of creation bring hope to mankind. In the first place, creation has produced Christianity because the, every Christian doctrine is based on the fact of special creation. That's why it's the first chapter in the Bible. And all through the Bible, you find that. And, uh, and the same thing would apply to any aspect of Christianity. For example, some people say, well, don't bother with creation, just preach the gospel. But you know the gospel has its foundation in creation? Because the very last reference in the Bible to the gospel is Revelation 14, 6 and 7. says, the everlasting gospel, that means it never was any difference, everlasting. Angel from heaven preaching it. And what he preaches when he preaches the everlasting gospel? He says, worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. That's creation. So creation is the foundation of the gospel. It's the consummation of the gospel. So if we really preach Christ, we're going to preach creation as the foundation of Christology, too. And I can go down the list of all the basic doctrines of Christianity and find their foundation in creation. And we could talk about creation being the foundation of true science. Did you know that all the great founding fathers of science, like Newton and Pascal and Faraday and Boyle and all these others, were creationists? They were not evolutionists. They believed in God. They believed in creation. All the founding fathers of science, most of them anyway, were creationists. As we've seen by the fruit test, creation brings much more value to mankind than the fruits of evolution. Thus, another deadly stone ousting the giant of evolution. But with that said, let's move on to the last stone, the biblical test. Does the Bible teach evolution? Well, of course, you know the answer to that. There's not a hint of evolution anywhere in the 66 books of the Bible. Now, if you don't believe that, you check it out yourself. In fact, that was the thing that convinced me to change from being a theistic evolutionist to a creationist many, many years ago. I went through the Bible verse by verse and I tabulated every verse that had anything to do with creation or science or evolution or the flood or anything like that that was controversial with respect to history to see what there was. And there was not a single hint anywhere in the Bible of evolution or the long ages required for evolution. No hint of that anywhere. 
So each of these stones have hit their mark, and we can know with certainty that creation is true and evolution is false. But just like David chose to take a stand against Goliath, we too have a choice to make. Let me close with a statement I like to quote from a great Baptist preacher named Martin Luther. I kept this in the flyleaf of my Bible for many, many years. Got a different Bible now, so it's not there, but I still have it. Martin Luther said, I don't know where this is, but uh, it's quoted frequently. He said, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest expression every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. This is where the battle is today, two great worldviews that affect everything in human life. We need to be on the right side. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.